good morning, buenos dias, and welcome to LCC. My name is Brett Machat. I'm the worship and young adults pastor here at Life Community Church. And if you didn't know already, we are a bilingual church. Now you know because we just sang a song both in English and Spanish. God has been doing something amazing in our church body the past year. We're now we're speaking and singing in English and Spanish. I know it can seem daunting a little bit to both English and Spanish speakers, but don't worry. We're actually going to sing that song again in just a minute, and we're going to go over some of the Spanish pronunciations. It's, it's not too hard, I promise. But before we do that, we have some announcements. So first of all, we want to talk about our group life retreat that is happening, oh my goodness, August 5th and 6th. That's next weekend. Can you guys believe it? If you haven't signed up yet, Oh my goodness, sign up today, all right? Mostly for food purposes, because we'd like to feed you. It's Friday and Saturday, Friday night, Saturday morning. It's going to be great. There's going to be breakouts. Steve Adrianson is speaking. If you know him, you know he's amazing. God is going to do great things during that group life retreat. Also, that same weekend, we have our first Sunday lunch, and it's not just any first Sunday lunch. We're having, you guessed it, hot dogs. Who here likes hot dogs? Okay, if you don't like hot dogs, you can still come, I promise. It'll still be great. Uh, go on to mylcc.info. That is our website, mylcc.info. And there's actually places to sign up with what toppings you would like to bring. We'll provide the hot dogs, you provide the toppings. I'm more of like just a ketchup and mustard, maybe a little bit of chili and cheese kind of guy. I'm not like, who here likes relish and onions? And, ooh, all right, hey, raise it, raise it high. I don't have to agree with you. Raise it, raise it high, proud kid. Okay, sweet. There are hot dogs for you as well. So come next Sunday. It's going to be great. And lastly, our last announcement. Dale, can you put up that last slide? I care. Our 25th anniversary. How could I forget? Yes. Let's give a round of applause. Let's praise God for what he has done in this place for 25 years. Holy smokes. It's coming up September 9th through 11th. It's going to be amazing. Stay tuned for ways that you can help make that 25th anniversary event happen. Because we're going to need all hands on deck. Okay, okay. Before we get back into this next song, Dale, can you put up the chorus of that song that we just sang? It's called Tu Senor. If you didn't know, oh, actually, can you put up the background first and then the chorus? Dale is so ahead of me. Oh, my goodness. He's on top of it. There we go. Tu Senor. All right. We're, we're talking to Jesus when we say this. Tu Senor. Repeat after me. Tu Senor. If you can't tell, I'm really excited about this song. Tu Senor. Eres grande. Eres grande. All right, and that's pretty much it. Can you go to the next slide that says, mas, okay, this last part, it's tricky. Mas grande que toro. Let's say that again because we're going to sing it a bunch. Mas grande que toro. You guys are ready to sing this song. Logan, why don't you hit the click? Let's sing it together. As we sing this, let's raise our voices, put our hands together, raise up a shout of praise to our God this morning. All right, you should have, when you came in, you should have been given a white piece of paper. We call these Connect Cards, although this is not cardstock. I'm going to have to take that up with the copy center. Um, but, um, but you should have been given a Connect Card. Um, we would want to take a minute right now. We think we value knowing you and who you are, so I want to take a minute and give you a second to, to uh, fill this out. If uh, you didn't get one, I believe there's supposed to be some at the soundboard. 
and you can grab one. But our Connect cards, the purpose, we don't, we don't give, this, give this out. We don't, obviously don't sell it to anyone. Um, the purpose of these Connect cards is really just for information, for us to stay updated with who you are and who's around. Um, no, you don't have to, okay, I guess. Um, but go ahead and do it. Um, kids, if there's kids in the room, and um, we do have some kids in here today, which is a sidebar, but it's an important one. Um, we are so glad that like, people are, are coming back. Uh, they're around the church and families, and there's like all these babies that were born during you know, um, uh, lockdown time and different things, and now they're like rising up, even to be like going into the, out of the infant room and into the, the preschool toddler or the toddler room. And, um, but you may notice there's some kids around this morning. Some of that has to do with the fact that it's a fifth Sunday. Some of it has to do with the fact that we had volunteers that normally work with our kids that were in Honduras, and we don't want to burn people out. And, um, but some of it has to do with the fact that we actually um, we need some help in some areas. And so one of the things we do, and, and kids is one of those areas. One of the things we want to do with this Connect card, if you are interested in serving around here and you would like someone to, to reach out to you and talk to you about that, would you, like, on your Connect card, put, like, a big star somewhere on there? Okay, like in some of, the, some of the empty space. Put a big star there. Someone will reach out to you. If you don't put a big star there, we're not going to reach out to you about serving, but we would love to talk to you about it. Serving is, is one of the ways that we connect around here, um, and uh, we believe that, that God has gifted each and every person uh, for a, a purpose in his kingdom and, and to serve the body. And so, um, so if, you, if you would do that for us, that'd be great. And then the last thing on this, the last thing would be... Um, <laughs> We're making this so easy. We're not going to collect them right now. Just leave them at your seat, like on the floor, in the little cup holder, whatever. We're going to pick them up afterwards. If you're really worried about your email address getting out, you can drop them in the boxes on the way out the door, too, and we'll get them that way. But, but just leave them. When you leave this morning, just leave them there, and we'll be glad to pick them up. Okay? So, um, all right. <clears throat> well, I want to ask, uh, ask if any of you are familiar with the actor named Miles Fisher. Anybody know Miles Fisher? Actually, if you did, I would be a little surprised. Uh, Miles is mostly a character actor. Uh, he's appeared in shows like Mad Men, Psych, Two Broke Girls. Um, he, did, he did star in Final Destination 5, which was in 3D. Um, if anybody caught that one, I, I missed that one. Um, but actually, if you had heard of him, I probably would have said... Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you memorizing the International Movie Database or something? Um, he's, by and large, a character actor. Um, and, and, but he has reached a new level of fame over the last year. And if you've heard of him, it's probably because he has a resemblance to a true Hollywood star. And that has led him to viral fame as the TikTok uh, account Deep Tom Cruise. With an assist from new technology... Both of those are Miles Fisher, okay? But with an assist from technology and a visual effects artist named Chris Ume, this guy, Miles Fisher, has, uh, he's released dozens of TikTok videos pretending to be Tom Cruise, just doing the most mundane things, hanging out in the backyard, cooking a meal, um, talking about his coin collection, okay? Nothing that is personal about Tom Cruise. He has some rules. He doesn't talk about his family. He doesn't talk about his religion, he doesn't mention whether or not he's actually a robot and the real Tom Cruise is trapped somewhere. Um, but, but anyway, uh, so far there's been no response from the actual Tom Cruise. Uh, <laughs> some people have even speculated that, um, that this account, okay, this account that's getting like tens of millions of views uh, on these videos 
may have actually bridged a generational gap for the real Tom Cruise with younger people who then went to see Top Gun this summer and might have actually contributed to some of the success of the movie. Uh, maybe the real Tom Cruise has not put out any sort of like cease and desist on this because it's actually free and generally positive publicity. Um, but these videos also show the power of new technologies, okay? We live at a point in time where this is crazy, right? And these are stills, by the way. Obviously, I'm not showing video, but like these are from videos, okay? Um, the, with the original video of Miles Fisher on the left and the deep faked video on the right of, of that, that is the one that goes out on TikTok is the one that's on the right. Um, but, but they've led to some meaningful conversations about the power of artificial intelligence, the ethics of pretending to be someone when you're not them. Like, can we possibly take mimicry and parody too far? Um, those are very real questions that have been asked um, that, 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 that Miles Fisher and this parody account that he's put up about Tom Cruise have, have caused us to ask. And you would say, what, Tom, what's that all got to do with Jesus? <laughs> because we, this summer, have been talking about the life of Jesus. Um, who, who is Jesus? What did he say and what did he do? And we've called the series Jesus and because we want to orient our lives with Jesus first. Rather than just wading into our lives and getting into a mess and then saying, Jesus, come take over, we want to say, Jesus, what is it that you have for us in our life? What is it that, that as before we go out from here, before we move out from, from and into our life, into different spaces, who are you and what is it that you're saying to us about, about where we should go and what we should do and, and who we should be when we get there? And today we're going to talk about Jesus and identity. Miles Fisher is not Tom Cruise. No matter how much he looks like him, no matter how much he can nail the mannerisms, no matter how many people he can, he can persuade or convince, and by the way, many people are convinced that the, the fake videos are really Tom Cruise. He's not, it's not him. It's not him. And the things coming out of his mouth are not from Tom Cruise's mouth. It's not his identity. They're two different people. And so we're going to talk today uh, about identity, and we, we live in an, in an identity-obsessed culture. Um, one of the reasons that Miles Fisher does what he does um, is because he's always sort of had a, a resemblance to Tom Cruise. All throughout his life, people have asked him, you know, you look just like Tom Cruise, okay? He, he went to Harvard, Harvard University, and he was a commencement speaker, and he was introduced at, his, at this commencement speech as the Tom Cruise guy. That was like his claim to fame at Harvard, Okay? Identity, he, but, but he struggled with his own identity. How, how do I forge my own identity when I'm, I'm just constantly confused with someone else? But in our culture, we, we tell people you've got to select an identity. You've got to pick, like, you can, you can self-identify. We spend billions of dollars trying to protect our identities, right? My identity is precious, and, and no one should, should, should be able to take my identity. And Jesus had things to say about identity. He, he, he had talked about his own identity, but, but he also talked about the way that his own identity is connected to our identity. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at, uh, at Luke chapter 9, if you have a Bible. We're going to look at a passage that appears in, in all three of what are called the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the first three books of the New Testament. Synoptic simply just means seen together. It's just a, a way of saying that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke sort of follow the same outline of the life of Jesus. And, and this story appears in all three of them. Um, 
And it, and it is a pivotal story in all three of them. They all, all three of them place it at, at a pivotal point in the story of Jesus. Um, up to this point in, in, in the passage we're going to look at, Jesus had mostly been in the northern region of Galilee teaching, and he was wildly popular. Um, the stories leading up to this are some of the stories we've looked at in this series about the crowds coming to Jesus and him teaching to the multitudes and, and having to like, flee on, uh, uh, by boat at night to like, get away from, from the crowds and those kinds of things. After this, Jesus' attention is going to be turned towards Jerusalem, and, and, and as his attention is turned towards Jerusalem, that means his eyes are focused on ultimately his death and the sacrifice that he's going to make. So, so in this passage, we're going to see that, that pivot. And so it, each of the three authors of those, of those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they position this account, this story, right at the center of the, their, their telling of the story of Jesus. And as we go through, we'll try to provide insight from some of the others, but we're mostly just going to focus on Luke and mention what Matthew and Mark might add to the story. So take a look at Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 18. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 18. It tells us this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, <laughs> the disciples were with him. That doesn't seem to make sense, right? <laughs> like he's praying alone, but the disciples were with him. Essentially what this means is this is a period of time where Jesus was, was amongst crowds, multitudes of people, okay? And, and he had, but he has, he, he has taken aside like this smaller group of disciples, like this kind of select group. We might call them the 12, like the inner, the inner circle with Jesus. He's away from the crowd but, and, and, and then even from there, Luke says he's praying alone, okay? So, so sort, sort of think of concentric circles, the multitudes of people that were following Jesus and hearing him, and then there's a circle of like this inner 12, and now Jesus is like on his own, he's in prayer. So what we're about to read comes out of a point in time where, where Luke's record says he's praying alone, okay? He's praying alone. And, and, and he's, and, but this says the disciples were with him, and he asked them, he comes out of prayer, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. It's a strange question. Who do, who do the crowds say that I am? Was Jesus doing like, like a public opinion poll? Was he having an identity crisis? It's actually very interesting in Luke's gospel, the, 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 the answer that they give. Some say these things earlier in chapter 9, um, that, that King Herod, the, the, the sort of puppet king of Rome that was over the land, that King Herod was, was hearing about Jesus, and he's asking about Jesus, and he asked, who, like, who is this guy? And people told him these exact things. Some say that he's Elijah. Come back. Some say he's John the Baptist. And Herod had John the Baptist killed, so you could see why Herod would have been concerned with this question. But those closest to Jesus are repeating to Jesus the same things that those closest to Herod were hearing. So there were stories about Jesus and his identity. People were talking about him, okay? In the same way that today, people talk about Jesus and his identity. Who is he? Well, he's this really good guy who lived a while back and said some good things. Or he's, you know, the, the, the supposed, like, founder of, you know, a religious movement. Or people say stuff about him, okay? And, and have different answers. So let's keep reading. Verse 20. Then he, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So he shifts away from who do they say, who, who, who do people out there say that I am, and he makes it a personal question. But who do you say that I am? And there's a very clear point here, right? What you say about Jesus matters. 
right? Get that. What you say about Jesus matters. The answer to this question is critical. Who is Jesus? Not just what do people say about him, not in just some sort of academic question about like, what, you know, was there a real person? If so, what are the actual facts of his, his life? This, this is a very real question about, about you and me and who is Jesus to us? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers the question. Peter being one of, if there were even concentric circles, he was in the closest circle to Jesus. And he's, a, he's an important person in all three of these accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when it tells his story. He says, the Christ of God. Now, that's a, that's a powerful message. Actually, in Matthew and Mark, um, written to more of a, a, a Jewish audience, it actually says that he's the Messiah. They use the word Messiah. Messiah was a Jewish term. We'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. Okay? But Luke says, you're the Christ. The, the, word, the word Christ is Christos in the, in the Greek. It actually is the same word for anointing. It's kind of a weird term to say here. But it's a title sort of meaning like the anointed one. You're the one upon which all of the blessing, all of the anointing, all of the, the, the power and the goodness, it's all on you. Okay, that's you, Jesus. That's who I say that you are. Now, Luke's gospel here doesn't give us any like more dialogue about this, but, but Matthew and Mark give us more. And specifically in Matthew, like there's a kind of a long response to this where Jesus says, Peter, you've answered right. And, 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 and actually he says, Simon, you've answered right because he, he changed his name to Peter at this point and said like, from this point, you're gonna be named Peter. And Peter means rock. Because he says, on this rock, this foundation, I'm going to build my church. Now, some have taken that to mean like on the person of Peter. But really, it's on this, this identity question, on the reality that Jesus is the anointed one. He's, he's, he's affirming this idea and saying, you got this right, Peter. This isn't information that you've got. This information is given to you. You, you got the right answer. And we could say it this way. I think probably the best way to think about this, when, when, when Luke records Peter saying that you are the Christ, the anointed one of God, I think he's saying that you are God's answer to everything that's broken in the world. Okay? I think that's the best way to understand it. When you, if you're the anointed one, like you're the one blessed by God, covered with God's goodness and power, you're the one that God has selected, that God has made to be the answer to what's broken in the world. But then something very strange happens in the passage. Look at what happens next. Verse 21. Verse 21, he says, and he, being Jesus, strictly charged or, or commanded them, told them very strictly to tell this to no one. Okay, now pause there for a second because we know in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, by the way, this truth, it's going to go out and, and people are going to be gathered together around this truth. We're going to call it my church. Church is really not a fancy word. It's just a word for the gathering. Like people are going to gather together around this idea. And they're like, yes. But Jesus says, but don't tell anybody. That seems counterproductive. If this is the idea that everyone is going to gather around, don't we need to get the word out? So he says, verse 22, he says, so he tells him, don't tell anyone. And then verse 22, he says, saying, the son of man, that's him, saying, I, Jesus, 
must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So what's going on here? Jesus says, look, don't tell anyone because I have a job to do. There's something that needs to be accomplished. There's a mission, and that mission involves suffering and rejection and death. He says, I'm going to set aside, like, my own, like, will, my own, my own goodness, like, my, my own thriving. Like, I'm going to set aside a good life. And here's where I'm headed. I'm headed to death. I'm headed to rejection. So there's got to be a reason Jesus tells them to say nothing, and I think there's very good reasons. It didn't take very long for them to get, like, and when I say not very long, I mean like seconds. It didn't take very long for them to screw up what Jesus was talking about, okay? In Mark, Matthew and Mark's gospel, Peter, remember, Peter's the one who said, you're the Christ of God, you're the Messiah. Peter, immediately after, the, after Jesus says this, that he was going to suffer, Peter goes, oh, no, no, you're not. I'm going to fight for you. And Jesus very strongly says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Peter immediately misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. Later on, again, boy, this this passage is so rich. But later on in this passage, it's about a week after this, Jesus takes Peter and a couple others up on the mountain, and there's this moment where his glory is, it's called a transfiguration. His glory is evident. And there's like, there's like, um, dead prophets come back to life, and they're on the, And Peter says at that moment, he goes like, hey, here's what we should do. Right here on this mountain, we should set up three tents, three places to memorialize this. And, and Jesus is like, I, you don't get it, do you? The mission is not to, to establish that kind of thing on earth. It's bigger than that. And in order to accomplish the mission, I have to go through the suffering. Don't try and make me king now. My kingdom is is bigger than this. It's further out from here. You see, these were were first century Jewish people, and they had, when they hear Messiah or they hear Christ, anointed one, they had baggage. In the same way that when we hear Jesus, or we hear Jesus as Lord, or we hear Jesus, we bring our baggage to it. They were bringing their baggage to this idea. And one of the first things is that that they bring to it is that they didn't necessarily believe that the Messiah or the, 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 this one, the Christ, was going to be God in the flesh. They actually believed that it was probably just a very special human on which God gave his power and blessing to go and do something, okay? So at this stage, Jesus is almost hitting the brakes to say, like, there's more to the story, and you need to see the whole story before you start talking about it, Okay? That's part of it. But also, you see it right away. Peter says, I'm going to go to war for you. I'm going to battle for you. I'm going to protect you because, because the goals that we have here can't be accomplished if you do the things, if the things that you say are going to happen actually happen. If you die, our movement dies. Right? That makes sense. It had happened to them in a cycle before. People had risen up to try and throw off the, the oppressors that they had in the land, and the, the oppressors would come in, or a new string of oppressors would come in and just squash the rebellion, and there they were again back in the same spot. But you see, they brought to the ideas that this Messiah, this, this Christ, was, it, it was probably, they didn't have a concept of God in the flesh, but they also believed that this, this Messiah was probably going to be more like a king 
There were promises that were made to Abraham and David, and they took the kingly line of David, and they understood it to be that it was going to be someone who, had, who was a king and sat on a literal physical throne, someone who protected them and provided for their prosperity, someone who restored the glory of them as a people. They're all things that, that today, the same things that we count on today from our earthly leaders, aren't they? I want my earthly leader to, to fight my battles for me, to, to, to go out and conquer so that I can live in peace and safety. I want my earthly leaders to solve the prosperity problems so that I don't have to pay 4 or $5 a gallon for gas. That's what, that's what I'm after. That's who gets my vote, right? They were seeking, a, in, in, in all fairness to them, they're doing the same thing we do. They were seeking a political solution to the problem. Remember, the Christ was the one that God brought together to solve the problems or brought to, to bear to solve the problems. They believed the problems were, were essentially geopolitical in nature. And if we can solve those problems, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. They believe that to be the problem. And the evidence is that Peter tries to to stop Jesus, and, he's, and, and even a week later, he tries to, to give Jesus his own sort of temple on the mountain. They wanted Jesus for their purposes. Did we catch that? They wanted Jesus to accomplish their purposes, affluence maybe, power position. They wanted Jesus to, to end the, their strife. And I want, I'm just gonna raise my hand and admit, I want the same things from Jesus today. I want Jesus to make me comfortable. I want him to make me victorious when I have conflict. I want him to just smooth the path in front of me so that I can walk comfortably and casually. That's sort of what I'm after, if I'm going to be honest. And so Jesus, and so by the way, our belief that, like, politics are going to solve the problem, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. We may feel it poignantly at the moment, but it's been around for millennia. Jesus confronted it in his day. But the fact that it's been around forever doesn't make it any more right. Right? It's not what Jesus came to do. And so he hits the brakes on them and says, nope, you're not really ready to understand really who I am. God in the flesh, nor what I'm about to do. Your thinking is too small. So he turns, he turns to the group, larger group. Now he's, it says he said to all, okay? He said to all. So this would in, insinuate that what Jesus is about to say moves outside of kind of like, remember these concentric circles. So like he's probably back out to a larger group. He says to all, if anyone would come after me, you want to follow me, he says. You want to come after me, follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay. Remember what Jesus had just said, okay? Remember what he had just said. Here's the job that I have to do. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer, be rejected. I'm going to die. But then I'm going to come back to life. And now he follows it up. It's like he turns from that conversation to the crowd and says, if you want to come after me, that's your job too. 
That's your job too. Embrace rejection. Get ready for it. Embrace it. Deny yourself. Stop trying to, stop trying to carve a path that makes your life just better or easier. That's not what I'm here to do, he says. That's not what it means to, to acknowledge me as the Christ, as the anointed one, as the, the solver of the problems. That's not the thing. Set aside your own desires. Set aside your own agenda. And then he says, take up your cross. This language gets really poignant for them. We know about Jesus and his crucifixion, and we know that the Romans crucified many people. It wasn't just Jesus. And one of the practices they would have is they would take that cross beam that where, where the arms would be, and they would, they, they would force the, the convicted person to, to carry that, the beam of that cross with them to the place where they would be killed. The idea of taking up your cross, you were just walking already dead. You were walking to your actual execution, but, but you, were, you were doing it already convicted, already dead. And then he adds that word daily, right? Because it's tempting for me to think like, okay, Jesus, I'll suffer a little while for you. I'll partner with you in a couple difficult things as long as you bail me out when it's all said and done. But it's got unlimited time here, right? Or we say like, no, 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 Jesus, I already did the suffering thing for you. But in this statement, he says, look, I am the Christ. That's my identity. It's who I am. And if you want to come after me, you want to follow after me, here's the deal. As you see, you see from me, set aside your own desires. And you take up your cross and you come die with me. How far is Jesus asking us to go? Oh, man, all the way. All the way. And then he says, he follows this up with, with three statements that begin with four, F-O-R, okay? So three fours. You remember three fours? Verse 24 is the first of the three fours. <laughs> he says, for whoever would save his life, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The first four, he says, is the harder you work to make more of your life, the, the tighter a grip you try to have on your own life, the more certain it is that your own life is gonna slip away from you. You cannot hold on to it. There is no grip tight enough to hold on to your own life. But if you give up your own life, if, if we're willing to do what he said, deny ourselves, take up our cross, give up our own way for his way, we actually find that we live in that case. So we find the first reality about Jesus in these three fours, we're going to see, I think, three also realities about what it means, what Jesus' identity means for us. And the first one is this. Our lives are only significant because of Jesus and with Jesus. Sorry. There is no other answer for why our lives matter. It sounds extreme because it is extreme. This is Jesus' message to us. You can try to make your life about something else, even some really good cause. But the more you try to hang on to your life, the more it is you're going to lose it. It's not just diminishing returns, it's, in, it's inverse returns. The more I try to make my own life matter, apart from Jesus, the less it does. 
So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that our life is about? What is it that our life is about? We've got to keep reading. Verse 25, the second of the three fours. <laughs> Two, three, four. Okay? Second of the three fours. For what does it profit a man? What good is it? If he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, and some translations say, or his, his very soul. What good is that? Oh, okay, so don't deny yourself and become all that you want to be. Set your own identity. Name it, make it happen. Make it happen. And perhaps accomplishing those goals and getting everything you want is the worst possible outcome. Perhaps getting everything you ever dreamed of actually is the very thing that keeps you from having real life, says Jesus. The second thing we understand here is that having everything you ever dreamed of says nothing about the state of your soul. It says nothing about the state of your soul. Winning in life, winning at this life, is no indication at all of where we stand with him. How many of you had a lottery fantasy this week? Come on, be honest. The cash payout, I mean, it was 1.2 something billion dollars. Cash payout of 700 million. I'm not going to ask who bought a car. Okay. But when our mind goes, sees that and starts to think about it, do we believe that having all of that is going to make for a good life? Let's be honest. Would that give you everything you ever dreamed of? It reveals something about us. So go on. Let's make something of ourselves. Let's get it all. But if we don't have Jesus, we've got nothing. We've lost our very life. I mean, how many more stories do we need to hear about the misery of the rich and famous? How many more trials do we need to hear about unhappy celebrities who have it all and are absolutely positively miserable? They don't even win in this life, let alone in the grand scheme of eternity. So verse 26, the third four. He says, Jesus says this, and this is, this is gonna be tough, but for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man, that's Jesus, will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Oh, no. You see, Jesus is saying, like, if you can make your life about certain things, and if, if you make your life about those certain things, and it leads to a place where you don't want to associate with me, you're kind of, you're keeping me, pushing me away. Understand that you kind of wind up getting what you're doing or asking for here. We don't like shame, and I get it. We don't like shame. We've, I, I culturally, and this is a, it's a bigger topic, right? But, but, but culturally, we've been told that to feel any shame is wrong. We've confused shame and guilt because the fact of the matter is I am guilty. I am guilty. I think that the good in our, in our uh, aversion to shame is that shame is a terrible way to motivate. It's a terrible tool to use on others, Right? but it's a real thing. 
It's a real thing. So what does this mean? And, and I also need to say, like, the, the, the language of this is tough in the original. But, but catch this. Let me say this. It's, when it says shame, there's no, like, translation trick to pull on this. It doesn't mean, like, some sort of something else besides shame. It means shame. Like, if you feel, okay, it kind of boils down to two things. If you kind of feel like being associated with Jesus is going to lower your status, it, you know, like, if, you, if that happens, that's what it's talking about. Like, I, I don't want to say anything here because eh, people might think less of me. I've shared this before, but when I was fresh out of college and job hunting, my major in college was, my primary major was Christian ministry. I also had a communication communication degree. It was, they were both really valuable when I was trying to get sales jobs and stuff. Um, but I remember interviewing with a Christian guy who told me, take that Christian ministry thing off your resume because it's going to keep you from getting jobs. And, and I, at, the, I, I, at the moment, I was like, Ugh. he offered me a job and I said, no, forget you. Actually, he didn't offer me a job. But, but that's my, that's, see, those are my fantasies. Um, <clears throat> keep your lottery. I just want revenge. Okay, so but, but my point being, my point being, life presents us with opportunities to sort of go like, I'm going to keep Jesus in my back pocket, where I can pull him out when maybe no one's looking and sort of have my little time with him, and then I'm going to put him back there. That's an option for the way we live our life. This isn't saying like, you don't wear Christian t-shirts. You're not a, no, 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 no. You don't listen to Christian music in your cubicle. No, 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 no. That's not this. This is life presents us with opportunities to say yes to Jesus and no to Jesus. And are we saying no out of some sense of shame, loss of status? That's problematic. Jesus says that, that ain't going to work. It's all, there's also the, the, the language here as it's used in other passages in, in the New Testament. It also sort of... Um, it's a sense that I don't really believe that Jesus is going to keep his promises. Like, it, it kind of means that, too. Like, I don't really internally believe that Jesus is good on what he says. He's going to disappoint me. And so I just kind of keep my heart distant from him. I might still go through the motions of doing the Jesus stuff, being around church or maybe whatever, but I'm not, I'm not really on board here. Inside, I'm just not. And so I want to be careful because we can read this and sort of ask this question. So, so, so my neighbor came up to me and he said something and I was prompted about, I, sh I need to say something right now about Jesus, but I didn't. Am I ashamed of Jesus and I'm, am I going to hell? And I have a few things to say about that. I'm glad you asked, okay? If you feel that, I'm glad you asked. Because quite frankly, asking the question matters. Asking the question means that I'm not beyond what Jesus is saying here, okay? I'm taking this seriously. Because, look, I grew up in the church. I've heard these passages over and over again. And it's really tempting for me to theologize my way out of the, the reality of this and to say, well, it doesn't really mean that I need to speak up on Jesus' behalf, he can win his own battles. Well, of course he can. He's also commissioned you to be, like, on his side. Okay? So asking the question is great. Thank you. If you're not asking the question, fill in the blanks. Okay. 
The second thing about this is that, no, this is not about, like, an instance where I, I didn't say something about Jesus. Think about the exa- Peter, the prominent person in this passage. He's going to deny Jesus multiple times. He's going to say any number of stupid things. And in the end, in the end, he gives up his life for Jesus. And he's I mean, Saint Peter, right? Like, Peter is an example for us of Jesus, of being restored to Jesus even after he at times was ashamed to be associated with Jesus. Because the difference is direction, okay? It's not about any one moment, it's about direction. You see, an- another way to sort of the, I said I, there, isn't, there aren't word games to play with the word shame there, but there is another way of kind of encapsulating it. It's sort of to shy away from. Have you ever shied away from someone? You ever been in a relationship and sort of started to go like, yeah, I don't really want to break it off, but I'm just going to kind of start to create some space. And yes, Jane, if you're watching this, I'm talking about the way you broke up with me in ninth grade. Okay? It hurt. But that happens, right? You just sort of like, like something's not... I'm, not, I'm just not into this relationship. It's not working for me. I'm not, and so I, I'm not going to like really just a harsh, but I am going to kind of just drift. I'm going to shy away from. Some of us, like, we've left churches that way, right? Like, I didn't really, like, do the business of dealing with, I just kind of shied away from them, right? Now, if that's the case, you Ready? Jesus is going to allow us to put distance between ourselves and him. Jesus is saying here, if you want to shy away from me, that is an option for you. I'm not even getting into, this is not about, well, if, was I ever saying? I'm not talking about yourself. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus. And what direction is it headed? Am I moving towards him? Am I saying yes to him ever? Do I, do I desire to be with him? Or am I doing kind of the things I, in my life to sort of like kind of get him a little further away from me? I don't like what he has to say about my integrity. I'm fine with my reputation. I don't like what he has to say about my, my money. I don't like what he has to say about these broken relationships that, that are caused by, by my strife making. I don't. So just kind of like, just give me the parts of you that I'm comfortable with, and the rest just kind of, ugh, right? Read this again. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his angels. Get this. Jesus will allow us to move in a direction that leads us away from him. This is, this is what he does. Jesus will give us the distance we ask for with our words and actions. It's the third four. It's the third thing we learn. He's not going to hold you hostage. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with Jesus and identity? How about this? Our identity is tied to what we believe and say we believe about Jesus' identity, okay? 
our identity, your identity, my identity. It's tied to what we believe, like what is it internally going on in me when it comes to Jesus, and say we believe what's coming out of me when it comes to Jesus about him and his identity. Our identity, my, our identity with Jesus is, is intrinsically linked. We both affirm, we say the right things, and Jesus warns us about silence. But he also calls followers to a way of life that's consistent with him. That he is the answer to what's broken in the world. Not harder work, not more money, not a bigger crowd, not the, the, the most votes that we can get. He is the answer to what's broken. Do we really believe that? Are we going to live consistently with that? I want to wrap up with, with the Apostle Paul encapsulates this in, in, in this way. This is Romans 10, the second part of verse 8 through verse 10. Look at what he says. He says, the word is near to you. Look at what he says. In your mouth and in your heart. What do you say and what do you believe? The word is near to you. and they, That is the word of faith that we proclaim, this word of trust in Jesus. Who is he? Is he the one that solves our problems or not? And then verse 9, this is something that many of us, may, you may have memorized over time, but hear it again, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's something about what we say, what we're affirming matters. That Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart inside that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The broken things in the, this world are, are resolved, they're fixed. For with the heart, the internal one believes and it says, and is justified. That's a fancy word for like one is declared right. And it says, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So which is it, mouth or heart? And the answer is what? It's both. It's both. Who is Jesus? What do I say? Is he the Lord? The Christ, the answer to all the problems, what's broken? Is that him? Am I willing to say it? And if I'm willing to say it, am I willing to follow him, deny myself, come die with him, give up the rights to my life to live his way? Who do we say that Jesus is? We're called to both word and action. So at the very center of this series on Jesus... Jesus and his identity, his identity matters. Who is he? Is he God made flesh? Yes or no? Is he the Christ? Yes or no? Then let's get about believing it in ways where we live it. It's what all the rest of this series is about. What do we do from there? Would you pray with me? God, we... Um, we thank you for another opportunity to be together and we thank you for the gift of who you are. And Jesus, we thank you for we thank you for going before us into self-denial and into cross-bearing. And we we believe it and we, we want to, to trust you. We want, to, we want our lives to match that truth. We want, we want to, to live in such a way that, um, 
that, that you're the Lord of our life. We want to live in a way that acknowledges that really we do believe that, that what's broken in the world can only be fixed by you. And we confess that it's so easy to, to see temporary fixes and temporary answers as the, the most important ones. So would you help us? Would you help us in spirit prompt us, convict us, and show us where, we're, where we're, we're trusting in a false Jesus. We've got a, a, a deep, fake Jesus that we're hanging on to instead of the real thing. And God, I, I pray this morning, um, just as we sit here, and I want to invite those of us in the room who maybe have never encountered Jesus in this way, and I want to ask, um, God, that you would, you would prompt us today to speak, to confess. We just, um, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done and who you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And I want to, someone's on the band, if, if you're here this morning and this is new to you and you want to talk about this, we're going to sing another song. And at the end of that song, I'm going to come back up here. If you would like to talk about who Jesus is, and what it means for you to trust him. I'm going to be up here and would love to talk to you. Thanks. What a great time. Amen. Um, we love you. Los amamos. Uh, and we are so grateful that you are part of our family. And we are a family that believe in Jesus Christ. And, and just love one another in the same way that Jesus is loving you during the week. Uh, just a quick announcement. Next weekend is the group life retreat. Uh, we are inviting everyone. You don't have to be a leader uh, to be part of, the, uh, of this time. Just sign up in mylcc.info. When you log in there, you are going to see a, a direct link to subscribe yourself. Um, will be a great time. We are looking forward to see you next week. We are looking forward to see you uh, in this week in group life. You say someone today before you go, te amo, that you remember that is, I love you. Los amamos, tengan una buena semana, have a great week, and see you during the week.